Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Exploited, like day laborers have very little control, 
for what they do, make very little money. And then you have people who are pretty much small business people. Just like they don't have any employees, but they pretty much operate in that fashion. Right. So we've now, uh, so now with these law, a few laws now, that issue has come to light and that divide has come up. So basically, California started uh, the push for it because California is the hotbed of this because you, know, you have these companies like Uber, Lyft, a lot of these app-based workers who are being misclassified. You know, these are not people who are, you know, can really seek out other means. You know, they really are being micromanaged. You know, they're very misclassified there. And, you know, companies like Uber and Lyft, DoorDash and the same, you know, they really, you know, try very uh, hard and creatively to kind of side skirt, you know, certain laws. You know, they all try to maintain that they're tech companies even though there's, what's really the technology of like, you know, running a cab service, you know, there's some, but then, you know, we work was like, that. we work was another story. But we'll get to that later. So anyway, okay. we have these companies that, yeah, like they're exploiting people. They're based in Silicon Valley, uh, south of San Francisco and California. And, this has become a massive problem, especially there. So, you know, that's the time and the place to act on it is in California, in the States, you know, and they have, you know, it's a pretty progressive place generally, you know, people say. So they passed a law called AB5 to deal with this. So, you know, you naturally have opposition from them, but now it's become a big issue within, you know, writers, you know, my own profession, I suppose. Okay. And, you know, so writers, you know, you have on the one hand people who are working for, like, a large media company uh, that puts, like, Condé Nast, that puts out, like, a lot of magazines, really established. You know, you have those. And then you have, like, smaller companies that are really struggling, you know, because it's really unfortunate. I was just listening to an interesting talk on this. And apparently, like, 90% of the advertising revenue on the internet goes to Google and Facebook. So wow. that really, yeah, so that's insane and really makes it really difficult for like a lot of other companies to like uh, have ads on their sites, you know, and these two gigantic companies, you know, kind of do everything. So, you know, there's been talks of breaking them up and mono- uh, as monopolies. Uh, that's another topic I do want to discuss later. We're getting into politics. But right okay. now we have this real divide. We have a divide between these writers at the top making six figures, you know, they're getting the Washington Post, um, and they're happy, you know, they're like pretty like established versus other, you know, writers who are struggling, uh, and it's very difficult, and while they might be free and have freedom, you know, they don't really have, you know, real economic power to enjoy that freedom, right? for example. So it's become a massive issue, not only yes. in California, but also New York and New Jersey. I, I could vouch for that. I'm adventuring through that territory myself, as are you. So it's a, it's a, uh, it's a very different uh, world than what existed a decade ago. Yes, yeah, so it is, and which is crazy because a decade ago is now 2010. Uh, time flies or something. Yes. <laughs> so, 
So well, now we have this divide here, and we still okay. have people who are fighting, you know, against these companies, Uber, Lyft, you know, all these companies which are treating their people very poorly, micromanaging them as they do it. You know, I get an assignment to write an article. You know, I get, like, a deadline, some guidelines, and that's it. You know, I might write in the morning. I might write in the evening. You know, I write at home in my pajamas or, you know, sometimes in the library, sometimes at a coffee house. Right. For example, depending on my schedule. So that's flexibility. You know, and I have, you know, I have my laptop, I have my phone, I have, you know, a printer, I have the means to secure other work. You know, that's another very important thing. But now, so those, so there's the ABC test, and those are the first two, or those are two of them. The third one, though, is that the work is supposed to be outside their normal business. Now, so that's really where, you know, it comes down to it and becomes difficult. Because obviously, if you're Uber, your business is like you're a taxi company or you're a streamlined de facto taxi company. And like you could say, like, you're just, you just create an app and people use it, but that's kind of a BS argument. And people can see through the Obama officials who joined that effort, uh, unfortunately. Okay. True story. So... This is now a big issue then. Like, if you're going to be like a columnist, you know, making a couple grand off a few columns, a few publications, you might enjoy that kind of thing. But then, you know, if they're, if you're getting paid by a publication, that is central to what they do. You know, the central to what they do is putting out content. So it leaves it in a weird situation there for the ones that really like it. Uh, versus the ones that are getting exploited versus and then those in the middle. And it's really difficult because the two we have two sides. Now we have, you know, let's say our side or our natural allies, leaders in the Democratic Party, labor leaders, as uh, we've discussed, you know, we are pro-union here. Uh, right. But all their uh, flaws, they are good for people. They are very good for people. And, you know, similarly, allied groups, community organizations, and civil rights organizations. And then we have the other side, you know. (laughs) The other side is large corporations. The other side is, you know, um, business organizations. The National Federation of Business, NFIB, is very conservative. You know, they are against minimum wage, which we are very much for. You know, and then you have... Mm -hmm. The Americans for Prosperity Koch Brothers Front, uh, which always pushes right-wing organization, uh, organizations and ideology and ideas, and they're really good at it. Like they're so good. Like who doesn't want to use like be like a member of the Tea Party? Like try to be like a colonial reenactor that way. Like who doesn't want to be for freedom? The right. Is reading between the lines. So now it seems that, you know, this issue for freelancers, for writers, for photographers has come up. And, you know, there's some opposition to these laws organizing. So it's really interesting then to see, for example, the freelancers opposed to it. In California, they have 
like a pretty conservative lawyer backing them. So, you know, while there might be legitimate concerns with the law, you have to sometimes see who's really voicing these concerns sometimes. Right. It's a big issue. This is a big issue uh, for people. You know, this is people's livelihoods. And it is a, some sort, of, and it is kind of an interesting position because you don't. How you? How are you going to create an ideal situation, or the best possible situation, if you're going to have? If you need to help these workers, these media workers who are working for large corporations and getting exploited, and then those that have established themselves and are able to get a deal, and you know they're living an all right life, so. It's quite difficult that way uh, on a number of reasons. So, um, so the National now, Writers Union, yeah, uh-huh. uh, the AWA in the past. I've been talking. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. It's good that you're talking. Uh, the AWA in the past has held uh, informational uh, workshops and has recorded them and has made them uh, available. Is this something that the AWA is still focused on? Uh, this uh, particular, these particular gig economy issues, or are there larger yeah, issues you know, being talked about? Well, you know, that well, that's where you really get to things. Is like, it's really hard in this day and age. Um, to, and I never view anything as like an isolated issue. For example, right. you know, you have a lot of people, for example, making bad money low wages, you know, a lot of those are, you know, people of color, Hispanics and African Americans, you know, so it becomes a racial justice issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you'll have a large corporation pollute. You know, they might pay people badly and they pollute, so it's labor and the environment. Um, and then there's sexist, so it's a feminist issue. So, you know, a lot of these issues too overlap. So one of the things that came up was like, yeah, like there is no, um, like the, uh, yeah, like the independent contractors don't get benefits. So like healthcare is such a big issue for people, which is why we need Medicare for all. Right. As we I agree on this show. And because it does free the businesses of the expense, it is an expense for them. Uh, right. A lot of those plans aren't that great. A lot of people have, like, oh, they might have a decent plan, but they're paying too much for it. Or they just want the security of it. A lot of people don't like their plans. You know, they're expensive. The very nature of healthcare as insurance is kind of ridiculous. Because insurance is supposed to be just in case kind of thing. Like, you might not get into a car accident, but you have insurance just in case. You are going to get sick. You are going to have to go to the doctor even if you're running 14 miles a day and eating fruits and vegetables. Steve Jobs barely ate uh, meat with a side of cancer. One of the gigs that I do is uh, enrichment. And now I'm trying to build my own company doing uh, enrichment because, uh, uh, as you know, you get many times more what somebody else would pay you to do it. So I'm working on that. Uh, But I talk to people who are in the uh, enrichment gig uh, um, business and uh, one of the gentlemen I was speaking to, um, he has uh, insurance that he found, uh, and he never gets to reach the deductible because it's so high. So huh. during the course of 
so there, so it's it's basically he's paying all this money, hundreds of dollars a month, uh, and uh, unless he gets phenomenally um, sick, and he hasn't because he tries to take care of himself, uh, it doesn't pay for the doctor's appointments that he needs to take, and yeah, and they're expensive. Uh, so he winds up paying all this money and using it to very little and uh, uh, having to pay in full. So because uh, the deductible is so high. So there's all sorts of things going on like that. You know, people can get the insurance, but then uh, they're not really covered for for much of if, if anything happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is like a really bad and that is a really bad issue. And, you know, that happened to me the first year of the marketplace, you know, when I was trying to use it set it up. It's like, oh, you know, I'll just get a cheap plan. That'll work. And it's like, no, this plan does not really cover my real medication that I need, you know, for ADP. And it was really bad. That was, and it took some time and, you know, the marketplace, the Affordable Care Act, um, say what you will about it. It has made things a bit better. You know, I obviously it's not an ideal situation. It is a step in the right direction course but the right direction ultimately does need to be medicare for all sooner than later uh, now, which is, which is hmm? other countries in the world have managed uh, to do that um and uh it, it is amazing that our country has not been able to get something like that up and running yeah so america is really bad on a lot of stats like that so it's like all these other industrialized countries are what would be like a first world country or non-third world country is like, yeah, you know, they have paid sick leave, you know, they have paid maternity uh, leave, for example, good wages, you know, universal health care. And they've had it for a while, you know, like Kaiser, like Kaiser Wilhelm and Otto von Bismarck, I think instituted universal health care for Germany in the 19th century so that it wouldn't be like a political issue. Wow. Uh, um, and I'm pretty sure that's true. You'd have to check me on that. Uh, the British version, the National Health Service, was passed by um, not Chamberlain, Clement Attlee. Clement Attlee succeeded Churchill for like four years, and the NHS, as it's called, passed then. And you know, like a lot of people, like Stephen Hawking, you know, having nearly died of ALS or uh, Lou Gehrig's syndrome, was a great praiser. Uh, and had great praise for the NHS. Uh-huh. Uh, I learned that um, after I, after it was kind of said that he was a socialist and declined a knighthood from the Queen, which I commend him for. <laughs> Late great Dr. Stephen Hawking. Uh, so that was really, yeah, so a lot of these countries don't have that and have these more progressive things. Um, a lot of that traces back to somewhere in the early 20th century or somewhere between like 1880 and like the night in 1950 a lot of the countries like instituted these things for example um and a lot of it is because they did have more uh united progressive parties you know in like this kind of like multi-party system of like that like England has, you know, you have, you can have multiple parties and multiple parties then govern. Um, in America, you know, we've always had the Democratic Party has been a party like in between the 30s to the 70s 
definitely contained the most progressive and the most conservative people in the same political party, which is ridiculous in like other countries where like there aren't like these ideological factions of a party that would vary so much on so many issues. For example, like when you had in the 60s, like Hubert Humphrey and Richard Russell Sanders uh, from Minnesota and Georgia, respectively, you know, differed on like everything. You know, like Humphrey was a great civil rights advocate. Russell was a great civil rights opponent, segregationist. Uh, mm-hmm. The list goes on. Uh, so it's really funny that way. So a lot of these countries also had, you know, a more homogenous uh, population to start with. You know, when you have a united when everybody's the same and everybody like has that kind of like cultural basis, like it's sort of like easier to organize. This is sort of right. like a weird thing. So like Jews were able to organize among Jews in, in industries, in the garment industries that they did in New York, for example. Um, but you know, like when you start talking to like other people, other ethnicities and it becomes more problematic and then like things happen. That doesn't mean that they're, uh, insurmountable, it just means that they're more difficult. And that really has been a problem in the United States, unfortunately, throughout our history, that these racial issues have surmounted uh, and have been so hard to deal with and have prevented a lot of progress. So, so it's like layers of an onion. It's uh, uh, one thing leads into another, leads into another, and it's 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 a mess. Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely, like, a mess, and, like, it's horrible, because now, like, we have, like, we have, like, stats that America is, fro- is prosperous now, but, like, it's, these stats aren't very good stats, because, like, if you have, like, an, un- like an let's say, like, we have an, un- we do have a low unemployment rate, but, okay. like, if somebody goes from being, like, a middle manager to, like, a messenger or delivering goods, uh, they're they're employed, but you know, that's not really that's underemployment, which really is right. counted. And then, you know, people retire early or they start getting benefits. You know, if they're injured and they're like in their early sixties, uh, and they might want it to have work, for example. That's another thing that's not really counted. Um and those stats really aren't improving. And a lot of these stats have decoupled from like stats that you would expect. And it's quite unfortunate that way. Um, and we still have like, and counting the gig economy is still like the weirdest problem because, you know, officially it's like 10.5%, 11.5% of the economy. Other people say it's up to a third. So that's a massive discrepancy between the counting of the numbers by the Bureau of Labor Stats that produces the first one. And then, you know, the third one, I think, is more like surveys, studies have found that one. But more than one has found it's about a third. Yeah, I would guess that uh, it's uh, higher than 10%. Uh, a lot of the people I know are doing gigs. Uh, uh, at this point, mostly because they've gotten older, uh, and there is ageism too. You could add that to, to, to the yeah. um, 
actual problems we're dealing with. And, you know, even though they have lots of experience, nobody wants them. They're too uh, set in their ways. They're not up to date uh, with the technology. Uh, and uh, they can get somebody a lot younger to do it for a lot less money. So uh, uh, th- yeah, that's what they I do. think it's more. I think it's more the money thing. I think you can have somebody who's older can learn to be more uh, fit into any culture and learn a, pro, a computer program or something fairly easy. The money thing, though, is the kicker. Because, you know, you'll have somebody, oh, yeah, I'm happy at 42000 That's great. You know, I'm a young guy. That's great. I'll be, I'm working the corporate ladder and hustling. You know, if you have somebody who's like, 62 that's like it's like fu money yeah you know for the same for a similar position that's like fu money so you know they're saving a good chunk of their money uh but yeah of course like that where does that savings go to more buy more yachts and planes so we ever discuss the situation with toys r us on this we touched upon it, uh, and that's a very interesting uh, story to follow. I've been following it, so uh, I'd love to hear uh, your take on it. So, Toys R Us is a great company. You know, everybody loves Toys R Us and has fond memories of Toys R Us. And, you know, they famously went out of business last year. Uh, you know, and on, the, and on the service, you know, it looks like, oh, you know, more people are buying toys online, more people are buying Toys at Target and Walmart. Oh, they're so expensive. But no, nope. Toys R Us was a profitable company. Uh-huh. Um, is uh, that they were involved? They got involved with the wrong partner. Um, and I almost need to Google the technical term for what that wrong partner is, because you know you have to understand the finance industry you know so like goldman sachs doesn't do this i think it um i think it's called is it venture company or oh, venture capital because romney worked for bain capital venture capital impact investing i forget what the technical term is but that doesn't matter it's called vultures no. because i think i think somebody was just like ah oh, they're vultures anyway so Toys R Us got involved with a vulture firm. And a vulture firm is like, okay, here's a company we like. Let's take out a loan to buy the company. Uh, then we make the company buy it, uh, pay it back. Uh, then we increase CEO pay so that he increases the price of the company. And the easiest way to do that is not innovation and it's not in- – making everybody happy and it's not asking people for ideas. The easiest and quickest way and the most short sighted way is to just cut. You know, you cut benefits, you know, you cut interesting programs, you cut research and development. You know, you just cut, you know, you lay off people, you know, so that you look pro- more profitable. Right. On paper. You know, but you the company and then they have this debt that they can't pay off. You know, the company is doing worse and worse. You know, is having less assets to leverage and because it's getting cut to the point where it declares bankruptcy and then, you know, it's sold off for its parts. And this is what happened to Toys R Us. You know, this is what happened is that this was a good company. People liked Toys R Us and it was kind of screwed by this. 
and it became a massive issue because, you know, the CEOs, you know, a couple of corporate executives, you know, they got golden parachutes, they got compensation, and the company fell apart. Uh, managers of that store who had been there for years in different locations uh, did not. Toys R Us is also an interesting story because they're based in Jersey. Yes. We're based in Jersey. So, you know, it is like a local corporation, you know, that way, you know, always buy local. Um, because, you know, when you buy local, the money goes back into the economy more. You know, that's even more impactful on Toys the Us- business level versus a global society. Uh, have you been to the new Toys R Us? No, I haven't been. I haven't been to a new Toys R Us now. I know they have them. They're not under the name Toys R Us, though, are they? They're under Toys R Us, and there's one in the Garden State uh, Plaza. Uh, my wife and I went there, uh, which was, uh, yeah, the, the traffic is really bad, so we're not going to be going there <laughs> again soon. But yeah, just hey, they open up Toys R Us. We used to go to Toys R Us all the time, um, and. Uh, uh, so we we went there and they re envisioned Toys R Us. So what they re envisioned was not appealing to us in the least. And uh, they they didn't have any of the things that had older people going to Toys R Us. You know, which is uh, uh, basically the games and uh, the electronics and uh, um, you know like the pop culture type of uh, collectibles. Uh, so those weren't there anymore. So uh, that was it. You know. Uh, uh, we miss Toys R Us a lot, though. Whenever we drive by uh, where it used to be, uh, you know, uh, we talk about it and we remember oh, it. Oh, yes. Yeah, you think like a large corporation like that had multiple locations, you know, and it's quite sad, you know, driving around Jersey. You know, I saw one, I think it was on Route 1 South, you know, and it was like vacant for like months and months. You know, I think it became a Halloween store, Christmas store. Uh, I think it's and now I think it's still vacant again. I think one got a tenant. Um, and for that, you know, that becomes like a massive issue. Then you have blight. For example, right. You know, no money is come. There's no tax revenue coming into the city from that location. You know, there's no money being spent to that location. People employed. Uh, and that can only, and sometimes, you know, in, in the worst case, you know, that becomes, um, that spreads, blight spreads, you know, and then that's how you have, like, urban decay. You know, so that's quite difficult to deal with yeah, the, in and of itself. The one we had here, it, it's rented by another uh, company, but uh, it's not Toys R Us, you know. So uh, uh, the, the other stores that were there lost our business because we don't drop by Toys R Us anymore. So we don't need restaurants. We don't... Uh, uh, go shopping at the other stores because uh, it's Jersey. So these stores are, uh, you know, a few miles down the road. <laughs> so we don't need to go to that th- those particular ones. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, if you have, like, in a mall or, like, anywhere, you'll have, like, a big anchor store, department store, you know, that'll be, like, the big draw. But then it's like, oh, let's go get a Coke here or right. a slice here or I'll buy my socks here. Now that I've done my real errand, you know, that, that is like a big issue. Yeah. So that, that it is a shame. Toys R Us was an institution and uh, it was an institution that had appeal beyond, uh, you know, the generation that it was primarily targeted for. So uh, 
uh, it, it's really a shame that it left. It left a big void that, uh, uh, and I like to shop online too, uh, but uh, online you can't physically touch something or look at it or ask somebody questions about it. Yeah, you know, online shopping does have, like, its merits, but, like, there is, like, for example, one, there is the, the pleasure of, like, looking for something <laughs> in a bastardized mm-hmm. version of the Hero's Quest. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, something I want to uh, reference you would appreciate, but, like, there's also, you know, like, sometimes if you need something immediate, you know, you do have to run out into the store, you know, right. or, like, you need something immediate or like you want to see what it's really like like i would never buy pants online like i'm a 32 Uh regular fit i don't know what the skinny cut con is but i do not appreciate it or boot cut either so i could never buy pants online funny you should say that i tried buying pants online i've never bought pants online uh but i found uh some uh, pants that look very comfortable and everything uh, and uh, um, I was I allowed for you know if they were cut too small, and uh, still they they didn't fit right. And, you know, so they were inexpensive. I didn't return them, uh, but they're sitting there in my closet, and I'll probably donate them next time I go from <laughs> go through my closet. <laughs> so no more pants online for yeah. me either. Yeah, no, that is like a real thing. Is they do make it hard to return things specifically yeah. because. It, so that you would get spread up and give in uh, and don't return it, which is all the more difficult uh, in dealing with those situations. On the other hand, if you have a receipt, you know, you're you're kind of good. So I like- like, that's like another symptom of like hyper-capitalism is like all these issues. Like all these issues, you know, they combine up, they aggregate up. Nothing is like isolated from the other. I like books and I like going to bookstores. Um, and uh, uh, fortunately, a lot of people don't value books as much. So uh, if you go to thrift stores, you can pick up some really impressive volumes <laughs> that are hard to get uh, on uh, Amazon, uh, even. Uh, you know, uh, you, you can find like really uh, obscure books. So I go to a lot of uh, thrift stores and look at their books. Um, but uh, I do use the internet sometimes if I'm shopping in a bookstore and, so, and a book is new. I know that I can get it on Amazon with Prime uh, a lot cheaper with free delivery. And there, there's very rarely anything that I have to read at the moment. I can wait a day or two for it to be delivered. Uh, so for that, I use, uh, uh, you know, the online shopping a lot. Yeah, Amazon, and a lot of that is like a double-edged sword, like, I'm not gonna lie, say like I'm like I've had like you know, people like that it, like especially with Prime you do get free shipping, for example. And I remember like as a kid when Harry Potter was coming out, like, we pre-ordered to get it like that like right then. Uh huh. Like one of the first in the house to like read it, but you know, so it's really great that way. But now you know, Amazon, you know, like they famously were exploiting their workers in warehouses, and that became a prolonged uh, political fight, uh, for example, and they're just gigantic. That, like, why is a company like that, you know, that they, like, okay, online ordering stuff, like, why do they have an entertainment wing? Why are they getting into Whole Foods? Why does Bezos own the Jeff, the CEO of Jeff Bezos own the Washington Post? It's like, 
they've grown a little too big, and this gets to the issues of monopolies, where we have right. companies like Google and Facebook that are a little too big. You know, and we've broken up monopolies in the United States before. You know, yeah. Uh, Standard Oil was uh, broken up. Um, most of those parts are still uh, disconnected, so they made some progress there. You know, Ma Bell, the phone company, famously broken up. I remember that. Um, so those are the two big ones. And, you know, Microsoft had an antitrust case, uh, and I guess they settled. And now, you know, because of, you know, Republicans have pushed an ideology that is wholly in favor of hypercapitalism, you know, this whole idea of like, oh, we have to get rid of a monopoly. This seems like a radical idea. You know, at one point it was radical, then at one point it was very central to like American political thought, you know, in the progressive era, you know, in the 1910s, 1940s, you know, onwards, you know, to the point, you know, and then that was a thing, you know, we don't want these large corporations that are too powerful. Now we seem to be more for it because, you know, they're shinier that way. And, you know, I go back and forth on Disney now. You know, Disney bought Fox. They got rid of the Fox name on the studio, apparently. Uh, And now they have The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. And I bought Disney Plus uh, to see that largely. Uh And, you know, it's an interesting thing that way because is Disney... A monopoly? Well, you know, they might have 20%. They might have 30%, but they don't have 100%. So then, you know, you get to an agalopoly where, you know, instead of one company, it's a couple companies. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, weird that way. And I'm sure Disney knows these things and they're pretty good at PR. So hopefully, for their own sakes, they'll be able to uh, fend off or cope with like those issues and try to deal with them. Like it was like a fact actually last year, like uh, Bernie Sanders came out in favor of like Disney workers. I don't know if it was Disneyland or Disney world. I think it was land Disneyland workers that were trying to organize and like deal with issues. And he came out and support, you know, that's a real labor issue. You know, you're working outside, you're working in the heat. That's, that's going to be difficult. Especially when we deal with the public like that. We're going to continue this after a short uh, music break. Um, I'd also like to talk about uh, what I see happening more and more, and it's alarming, is uh, basically do-it-yourself checkouts and now do-it-yourself price checks uh, in uh, supermarkets and retail stores. And uh, this is going to eliminate a lot of uh, jobs, just like the uh, uh, ATM machines uh, eliminated a lot of uh, bank teller positions. So uh, I'm watching that happen more and more. Um, And uh, that's something I believe something should be done about. Uh, But in the interim, we're going to listen to Cauldron Born by Dave the Bard. It's about rebirth and transformation, something we're all undergoing. And then we'll be back with Dan Uloa. See how the land is made 
with me and let me show There are others just like you Who feel the powers of earth, sea and sky Of dragon and fairy and shades of the night Hear the call of our ancestors of blood and bone This hill, our shadows are cast 
of earth, sea and sky Of dragon and fairy in shades of the night We call to our ancestors of blood and bone Of womb and tomb and standing stone Lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell Of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Oh, lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within this darkened hall, hear the goddess Keridwen call. Come and taste of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. You're the cauldron Options and Opportunities podcast. I'm Hercules Invictus, and my co-host today is Dan Uloa from the American Workforce Association, and uh, we're having a wide-ranging conversation on a variety of seemingly different but very related uh, topics. Greetings and welcome back, Dan. Thank you, Hercules. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm curious about The Mandalorian. I haven't picked up Disney Plus yet, uh, and I don't know anything about the show other than there's a Mandalorian and a Baby Yoda in it. <laughs> That's pretty much all I've been able to gather. Uh, so how is the show? Uh, yeah, I like it. Um, it's like an interesting show. Um, it's sort of like a Western, and then like he's a bounty hunter, and like, these rural areas, but yeah, so, so you were talking about the issue of automation. Right. Um, so, so Bill yes. Waitman and presidential candidate Andrew Yang have raised this specter. And to me, like in the ideal economy, it's like you address these issues where you had high wages, where you had strong worker power, where you had like, you know, Medicare for all, um, and a lot of these issues, you know, it wouldn't be as much as a problem because, you know, like 200 years ago, America was largely, you know, a bunch of people like farming and, you know, making horseshoes and uh, and banging things together, like a lot of craftsmen and like building stuff with wood and, you know, a lot of those, you know, now we don't need so many people uh, banging stuff together with wood and, you know, blacksmith is kind of a quaint little thing. Right. And you know, most we don't we only have a few and there aren't really that many mom Paul Kent family farmers left either. Uh uh 
Uh, no, so, the, you know, we don't have that kind of economy, you know. We have industrialization, you know, and then we have, you know, the information age. And we have an era, I think, you know, that is, you know, uh, an era where, like, we do have potential for, like, new economy, uh, new businesses, new industries. So, you know, I might right. sound like some anti-business socialist to somebody, but, you know, I myself have my own LLC, Excelsior Communications, and, and trying to launch, you know, uh, com as a uh-huh. cannabis news site. And those are businesses. And, you know, I think small business on some level is very divorced from, you know, these issues with hypercapitalism that, like, these large corporations deal with and that a lot of, like, medium-sized companies and conservatives get sucked along into believing. You know, that's how we found you know, common cause, you know, with, um, you know, president of a chamber of commerce on this show before and the similar business yeah. people, you know, which is like something I didn't expect. You know, so I am in favor of, you know, people starting businesses in, you know, entrepreneurialism. But, you know, we have, and this is actually a big problem because, you know, people are not starting businesses at the rates they used to, you know, because they don't really have, a lot of the capital, you know, if they don't have, you know, people who have the capital know the people, friends and family, or someone they meet at a party or friend of a friend, for example, the way they used to, I think. And when you have these big, you know, corporations monopolizing things, it becomes even harder to do things. And I think that's like a real issue uh, in the I United States. I think it's a real issue, too. Um, especially for like in the service industry and in uh, retail uh, where you have some people that that's, you know, pretty much what, uh, you know, they uh, can do. And although they may not be totally happy uh, doing it, uh, it's considered their job or their occupation, in some cases, their career, uh, their profession. Um, And those opportunities are are drying up. And even at the most basic uh, level, uh, people are being uh, replaced by these machines. Uh, my wife and I went to a Mexican restaurant once. I forget which one it was, but there weren't even waiters or waitresses for the most part. You entered all the things that you wanted in a uh, machine that was on your table, you know, like into uh, with a screen and buttons. Uh, and uh, um, when uh, we go to the supermarket, and when we go to like a uh, Walmart, uh, there are more and more of these uh, um, check yourself out type of things. And last time uh, at the supermarket, I-, I saw people with these like little—they look like little price guns used to look like—and they were checking prices and checking themselves out as they wandered through the store. Um, so it-, it just seemed remarkable. To me, uh, because uh, I started out in uh, food service uh, when I was a teenager, um, and I had several people in my family that were in food service their entire uh, life, and uh, uh, they were able to earn a, a decent, uh, you know, living. It wasn't a, a rich life, but it was a, a life that had abundance and sufficiency uh, in it. And uh, what people get working in those type of positions today is not enough to sustain them. Um, I see some of the same people working in two or three different places. um, And uh, they're being replaced by these machines. Um, So 
I believe in automation too. And I have uh, companies uh, that uh, I'm developing and uh, I'm also very entrepreneurial, but we're losing a lot in terms of people's place in the world. We're a country that is largely and still largely defines itself. Uh, we define ourselves by what we do, by our occupation, yeah. by our profession. So you start taking that away from people and w- without having something cultural to help this transition. And you have a lot of people who, even though they're working, they feel more and more displaced and disconnected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, these are real issues. It's really difficult with automation. And, you know, people are, you know, the idea of isolation, you know, it's difficult because, you know, we do have a lot of technology and we have ways to isolate ourselves in a good way. Um, you know, if you want privacy and then, you know, it becomes lonely. And then, you know, those connections that would otherwise like be good to get jobs, deal with like times of trouble or to raise capital for a business, you know, aren't there and those things don't get done. And then that becomes a problem ultimately. Yeah, it does. I remember, uh, I guess, mostly like in the late 70s, uh, throughout the 80s, and even into uh, uh, the late uh, 90s, uh, when I was uh, mostly based in uh, New York City, except for like a couple of years here and there where I was elsewhere. Um, I had uh, a network of people that I worked with over years. And I had, if I didn't like someplace, I knew I could find someplace else. And uh, uh, because I'd been in the field for a very long time and I was known for the type of uh, programs I put together, um, I was able to find good playing work and I was able to negotiate for all sorts of things uh, like my vacation time and my uh, uh, the um, retirement package uh, for um, sick days and things like that, those were all negotiable, and uh, uh, I was able to navigate around, and that lasted until, like, uh, September 11th, and then after September mm. 11th, uh, thing, the, the world was a different world, and things were very different. Things were different because, yeah, there was terrorism, but then, like, it's when, like, the 90s boom busted, like, around then, you know, Bush came in and was like, you know, and like really started with these hyper-capitalism things, uh, for example, like favoring, you know, wealthy companies, like oil companies, especially uh, running up to deficit, you know, Clinton, you know, Clinton had a lot of flaws, but Bill Clinton, by the end of his term, you know, country had a great surplus in terms of its budget. And a lot of these trends in terms of inequality were actually narrowing. Right. Um, yeah, and so those are, you know, those are like macro trends. And, you know, it's difficult to say, oh, you know, maybe it was the Internet. Maybe it was Bill Clinton. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's a Republican in Congress claiming that as uh, the 90s was his uh, victory. So, but, like, you got to give it to him versus, like, Bush. And it just got worse. Like, he just ruined it. Like, things just got worse and worse. And then, like, Obama had all these issues to deal with and, like, a very... He had a very optimistic, like, thing, like idea that, like, a deal would be done and that, like, he could, like, reason with these people. And, you know, we saw... We saw all that go away and that, no, it could not be reasoned with. And by 
by the time of his re-election, you know, he starts with the "I'm a uniter," you know, uh, above above the fray stick, and went back to like the real rhetoric to like rally the troops, which you know got him some victories, you know, and he was able to push some things in his second term, you know, despite you know issues with Congress, for example. But you know, it's hard in this day and age. So that brings us to presidential politics. Hmm? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? So I said this brings us to presidential politics. Yeah, yes, it does. And uh, involvement in politics. Uh, uh, I've been involved in politics on and off throughout my uh, life, mostly off. But uh, um, I can't <laughs> I can't not be involved because uh, I refuse to be a victim of this uh uh, the circumstance, you know, I have to be in there and try to change things uh, to the best of my uh, ability. Um, that's why I'm so involved in so many different uh, things, because I can't just sit there and like uh, complain about it. You know, even if what I'm doing isn't very effective, at least I'm doing what I can do. Um, and uh, uh, the Age of Heroes, which is uh, part of what these podcasts are all about, is uh, helping to give people a voice uh, or a platform uh, if I believe in what they're doing, I can help them in that way. So, you know, I gladly do. But uh, um, it's ridiculous what's happening. And uh, you need to be involved in politics. Uh, otherwise, again, you'll be complaining about it and it'll just keep getting uh, more and more extreme. Um, yeah, so like when you say like extreme, what, what do you mean like extreme? Like, Things will get bad, or this extreme myth. Um, we are very highly polarized. But and is that bad? Like people seem to think like it's bad that we're polarized. Like there's people who oppose hypercapitalism, and there's people that push hypercapitalism. Right. Um. And so I'm not really one were, of these people that bemoans polarization. If there were dialogue. Uh, polarization would be good in that it helps bring out uh, different uh, perspectives and it gives you more options. But we're polarized now and not listening to each other. So what's happening now, for instance, with the impeachment trial, uh, there are two different sides, each one with their own view of reality. uh, And the realities are not uh, overlapping at all <laughs> uh, it, It's like This is my reality and that's your reality And our realities won't meet And that doesn't seem to be working for us uh, Very well um, I'm all for differences of opinion And I'm an eccentric individual You know uh, So my my view of things is very different Than that of other people most of the time uh, But that's a good thing Because I can see things that other people Might not be able to see sometimes And they could see things that I can't see um, because of where they stand. And as long as we're communicating with each other, it gives you a wider option of uh, perspectives and possibilities. But it doesn't seem like we're willing to um, hear other people out as much anymore. It doesn't seem like we're willing to discuss uh, and explore the areas where we don't agree. Yeah, so that's an issue. But, like, Bernie Sanders is a great candidate. And, you know, uh, AWA has yet to endorse, but, you know, I myself, you know, I'm saying as the president of AWA, you know, I'm a firm Bernie supporter and <laughs> Larry Ham, who we interviewed last year, uh, for example, is running against Cory Booker 
as a Bernie Sanders back candidate, you know, for Cory Booker's Senate seat. And you know, Ron Rivers, who we interviewed, for example, is also like a permanent or prominent <laughs> prominent uh Bernie Crunch, you know, great supporter of Larry Ham. So Right. You know, like we could say like, Oh, you know, we want people to come together, you know, but like I'd like people to come together against hyper capitalism, you know, in okay. favor of Bernie Sanders. You know, because I think you know, we've talked about Medicare for all. No other candidate in the field has pushed for Medicare for all for so hard and for so long. And you know, I'll say myself, you know, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine when the ACA debate was coming up, I thought Medicare for all was was a fool's errand. It looked like it was gonna pass. It didn't really have much public support. But then we got the ACA done, and, you know, we got it done, and there's flaws. And, you know, Bernie Sanders came in, and he took these positions which were kind of left, which were left and not terribly popular. And, you know, he ran with them and found a massive support among all the people who realize on some level that hypercapitalism is messed up, you know. Messed right. up because there's low wages, messed up because of racism, because of sexism, because it does not respect the environment, nor care about koalas and the kangaroos that are dying in Australia because of a fire, and so on. And I think Bernie Sanders is the best candidate to really address these issues. You know, so, so that's the problem. Uh-huh. Then you have all these moderates, and especially Hillary, who doesn't seem to have forgiven Bernie for running against her in a primary in a democratic process. Yeah, that's um, odd. That, that circumstance is odd, odd too. <laughs> yeah, and it's so that's, you know, you have uh, all sorts of attacks going on between the uh, those candidates as well. Say that again? In a time when you would think that you know, when the country seems to be divided according to some polls like 50 50, uh, you would think that uh, the, the, the party that seems to be uh, maintaining the position has demonstrated that uh, they can stand together. Uh, and it, it seems strange the other party will not learn from this and instead they're attacking each other. So basically, both parties have had the same philosophy of governing and politics uh, for a very long time. So the Republican theory is, look, we got about 45, 47, maybe percent of the electorate. You know, we have a lot of people, but, you know, we don't have a lot of people that are going to go for our vision, that our vision that is on many levels, racist, sexist, you know, you can argue, you know, pro-life, you know, anti climate change, you know, anti-worker. So, you know, they uh, famously, you know, want to suppress, you know, voter, voter, <clears throat> voter turnout, you know, make it harder for people to register, harder for people to actually vote, you know, not make it harder for felons to vote, and then engage in campaigns which were especially divisive because right. the idea is like, oh, they just make it such a sordid thing that people are like, oh, I don't even want to get involved. Who might vote for the other candidate? Or they make two issues look the same. Like, oh, you know, Hillary had male issues. You know, Donald Trump, you know, hangs out with Russians and doesn't pay people. Uh, Yeah, they're they're the same. They both have issues. Well, you know, one is like a technical weird issue. 
Um, and the other is like massive fraud and crimes, which there's still a chance he'll go to jail for, God willing. Uh, so, th- so they do those types of things. Democrats, on the other hand, have a different theory. Uh, their theory is very much, look, they had the New Deal. We had JFK. We had LBJ. And then things kind of fell apart. You know, you had new factions come into the party. Uh, you had old factions that didn't like them when the labor movement became socially conservative and against, and they were too much for Vietnam and a little racist at the time um, and a little sexist, and those were big issues. So, like, they didn't endorse George McGovern in 1972. You know, the AFL-CIO famously endorsed Nixon. So, you know, in the 70s, 80s, you know, the party's divided. They don't know what to do. So they're like, oh, you know what we should do? We'll appeal. We need to appeal to a broad people, broad amount of people. We need to innovate. And that theory basically became a certain, oh, we have to be moderate. We can't be too progressive. Um, You know, we'll lose. We'll look like. Walter Mondale, who won two states or something ridiculous like that, you know, where Michael Dukakis won like seven states in 1988. Uh Um, But then things changed. You know, Bill Clinton, you know, he came in as a moderate. You know, he was the new baby boomer generation. You know, uh, labor, you know, civil rights. Activist feminists started realizing they had more in common, for example. Uh, the need to win the suburbs became more prominent, so the Democrats took power. But, like, the fact that the whole issue of the two of factions um, fighting very publicly, like, never became, like, resolved. And... Like, every Democrat, like, loves that LBJ passed the Great Society, this massive program of progressive bills, and he did it by conceding with moderate Republicans, by giving them schools in their districts, things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, and Republicans nowadays see that, like, it seems more valuable if I just look like I won't concede anything. You know, my constituents will likely reelect me more in that fashion. So... They have so the Republicans have no reason to concede, no incentive to concede. Well, Democrats are like, oh, what about LBJ? And we made deals under Reagan. That was forty years ago now. So, it's two very different philosophies, and the moderate philosophy of Clinton, Hillary, Bill, and others. Oh, that we had to be uh-huh. moderate against the Republicans. You know, it doesn't look. It doesn't look the way it used to look. You know, it looks like they're still fighting uh, against being Michael Dukakis, who nobody remembers, like, above, like, a certain age. (laughs) So, like, you remember him, you know, you're an older gentleman, you know, I remember him. I don't remember him. I read about him in a history book. Um, Okay. So, like, those, like, it's just like an antiquated reference now. Like, they have no understanding of, like, the plight of millennials, of the nature of the economy, and you have factions which are two, in many ways, they're two different, they're 
very separate. Like in the European Parliament, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez famously recently said, oh, I would never be in the same party as Joe Biden. And no, she wouldn't. But, you know, in America, like the third like the third party, like the rules are against the third party so much, it looks like a fool's errand. Right. It looks like, it really looks like a fool's errand. Like, and it's always been like that. And like they run people for president instead of just running a guy for a city council board. And like they're so earnest and so great believers, you know, like the Greens and similar people. But like what, like it's such like a, like they get like nothing to show for it and it's so difficult because it's like, oh, you know, what if you just win, if you could win the machinery, you win the primary like Alexandria. Um, and people are like, oh, yeah, she's a Democrat. I'll vote for her. Because, like, some people are just voting like that. A lot of general election yeah, voters are not, like, this ideological, that, like, well-researched into the issues. Uh, so, but, like, in a primary, like, the way we are now, and the Democrats, you know, people are researched in, and people do have policy positions. And those positions matter. You know, like, Medicare for All, for example, being strong on the environment. and. Uh, Bernie is the strongest one that way. Um, Biden, you know, he was the vice president. He's a friendly looking guy. People seem to like him for exactly those reasons. He's moderate. You know, Warren, Warren is my second choice. You know, she had a thing where she was called herself part Cherokee. Uh, and then people got pissed. Uh, I think I read her memoir and she explains it like even being like a little Czech Cherokee was looked down upon in Oklahoma where she was raised. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, like, I forgive her for that, you know, but Pocahontas and, you know, that's an albatross around her neck. And, you know, people wanted her to run in 16 instead of Bernie. In fact, Bernie wanted her to run in 16 instead of him, uh, and he, she didn't. And now, you know, she has a version that seems like less, it's less progressive, less strident than Bernie's. Um, and it's not as good, frankly. And it's liable to like concede positions because it's it's very difficult that way, you know, being in her position, um, trying to figure out how do I win the presidency. The thing about Bernie, though, that I like the most is that like he understands these changes and he really articulates his campaign as a movement that needs to keep fighting for change after he wins. So, like, Obama tried to do this half-heartedly. Like, his campaign became, like, organi- like Obama for America became organizing for America and then, like, half-heartedly pushed, pushed uh, for health care reform and Dodd-Frank a little, but not really. Uh, and then, like, they annoyed some people, uh, moderates, and that didn't really become a thing. But, you know, it's an interesting idea because, you know, you do need, like, that kind of, like, massive push, you know, behind, you know, certain efforts that are going to be inherently unpopular. And, you know, there are programs that seem, you know, a little socialistic. And, you know, Bernie does not shy away from the the S-word. And, you know, it's gone from being the S-word to people are like, oh, I'm sort of a socialist now. Or there's an article where it's like, oh, what is a socialist? You know, and, you know, a conservative is going to be like, a socialist is anybody... Anybody who remotely likes a little thing that helps people, they're a Stalinist, and it's going to become the worst society ever. 
And they immediately bring up Stalin, and they bring up Mao, and some other authoritarians. But like a socialist, you know, George Orwell was a socialist. It's not, you know, being a socialist can mean you want to really improve, like, the streets. Right. I don't think Bernie's going to nationalize any companies. Uh, give people life, liberty, yeah. and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and they, they call that socialist. Yeah, uh, they, they do. They evoke all sorts of stuff uh, and misuse words. That happens a lot. Uh, redefine terms uh, so that they don't mean what they actually mean. Uh, and I'm watching a lot of that happening where, where words are used to mean their opposite. And uh, again, it's uh, um, if, if it wasn't creating such uh, ill results, it would be very interesting. But uh, um, I, don't, I don't find it as interesting <laughs> as I found it when I first started looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird that way. And, you know, Bernie's proposals really don't look socialistic, you know, they don't look like Stalin, doesn't look like Chairman Mao, and like the horrors of authoritarianism, you know, under a different name in that sector. You know, I am definitely against authoritarianism, whether it be Nazism, Stalinism, Maoism, uh, Spanish dictator, South American dictator, juntas, uh, all forms are horrible and lead to oppression, and more often than not, are allied with economic elites. Well, the ancient so. Greek, notably Socrates, did not believe in democracy because uh, they pointed out that if you don't have an educated electorate, uh, democracy leads to populism and tyranny. Uh, so yeah, but like, what, what was like his point, though? Like, it's going to lead to tyranny? That if you don't educate your electorate, people vote for the wrong reasons, and the, the people that get in power become tyrants. <laughs> That's what Socrates. Yeah, I guess point. like. Yeah, I guess like Trump is like the biggest picture of that, like the like the example of that, because that was always like the fear. Because what was Socrates' deal that he disliked the Athenian democracy? Is that yeah, it, because, or because because. Uh, as long as you had an educated electorate, you know, people who understood what voting was and how to vote and, uh, you know, how to interpret uh, the signs of the times and, you know, what different leaders were uh, promising, as, you know, as opposed to what they were doing and so forth. And in the old democracies, too, if you were too popular, you were exiled. Because they were yeah, that's that's like a like a very like cute thing of like that somebody found in the scroll about ancient Greek democracy. Ancient Greek yeah, democracy, but, you know, started everything. But you know, they they had slaves. You know, they they were comfortable in that respect to the antebellum South. That's so I don't why think this, this slavery me, was as brutal. They asked me if, if I'm trying to bring back the old days of the the golden age of Athens. Like, no, they had slavery there. They had all sorts of really horrible things that we we don't need anymore. You know, we shouldn't have had them in the first place. Um, but they started something that evolved over time. 
And America as a grand experiment took those Greco-Roman ideas of, uh, you know, democracy and a republic and, you know, tried to do something different with them. And although it wasn't a straight line, it, it zigged and zagged, uh, it, it produced, you know, what we have now. And again, we still need to work on a lot. Uh, there isn't equality. There's all sorts of ways to block people from voting and so forth that we need to address and correct. Um, but I, I'm seeing the wisdom of their fears. Um, you know, they had their own like system of checks and balances and like ours, it didn't work all the time. But if you were becoming too popular uh, during that time, they would, they would ask people, you know, which of the candidates they knew a lot about. Uh, and then if you were written down the most, you were exiled for a number of years. <laughs> so... <laughs> Do they, do they really exiled people? Yeah, they exiled really? people. I forget what the politician was, but there's a famous story about an ancient politician um, who uh, somebody didn't know how to write. You know, the, the, when they were doing the, the things to put them in a, a clay jar, they had to write them you know, down. Uh, so uh, some uh, guy asked uh, the politician to help him you know, write down his choice. And it turned out the guy was going to write down to exile the politician because he's the only one who knew, you know, who he was, you know, so he can't be good for us. He was becoming too popular. So that politician, his honesty was that he wrote his own name down, <laughs> you know, so that, that became like a story that people told about, the, um, you know, that type of uh, voting. Um, but the fears we're facing today aren't new. You know, they go back thousands of years. And uh, I really wish that they still taught civics um, and uh, information like that in classrooms, because uh, um, we're seeing what happens when people don't understand politics. No, yeah, we really are seeing that. And, you know, it's a shame because, you know, it's a slow decline, you know, you know, to start educating this not educating people, you know, you have this breakdown in social services, you have these this melody of of issues, and, you know, what the solution, you know, becomes, you know, get involved in politics, organize the workplace, you know, right. work, build a coalition, but it's like, even if you defeat Trump, you know, there's so many issues still to deal with. There's still so many issues to deal with, you know, even, you know, if you defeat, like, one tyrant or, you know, we get rid of, you know, we break up Google, you know, we still have Facebook uh, doing a lot of bad practices, especially in regards to cannabis. Like, it's legal in California. It's legal in 11 states, adult use. And, like, any cannabis-related ad on Facebook, they're, like, old-time narcs about. And, you know, this is a legal industry for a plant that has been demonized because of its connection to people of color, especially. And, you know, this is messed up. You know, it's messed up that Facebook has this in their iron policy that's hard to deal with, that there's a lawsuit about that, I believe, uh, pending or going on. And, you know, what's the alternative to Facebook? Instagram? Well, not really, but sort of. But they own Instagram. Twitter? Not really, no. MySpace? People, I don't even think a 24 year old would know what MySpace is. I know what MySpace is. Like I said, you said I'm an older gentleman. Uh, we have to take a break again for a little while, for a few minutes, and uh, I'll play something totally different. I'll play 
Ashango with the Dragon Ritual uh, Drummers, the Orisha of Kingship. Shango.
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. I'm Hercules Invictus, and now we're entering the third and final part of our show. Uh, we're going to be focusing on labor and health care, and I have uh, with me Dan Uloa and also Bill Waveman. Greetings and welcome, gentlemen. How you doing? Hey, Great. how are you doing? Um, for the last part of the show, um, I'd like to focus on healthcare. We've touched upon it in uh, our conversations uh, um, in this show with uh, Dan, uh, but I would like to take more action than I'm currently taking. And I know that both of you would also like action to be taken and are taking action. So uh, this I'd like to be an informational and brainstorming session on uh, what can we possibly do and encourage other people to do to uh, f- focus on the importance of healthcare for all and uh, to take a path that will actually lead to healthcare for all. Well, Bill, you want you to know, start tackling uh, it? Sure. Uh, 90%, 92% uh, of all union workers have healthcare. Okay. Uh, and 68% that are not unionized have health care. That's a big differential in life and life experiences. Uh, you know, when health care uh, covers a many, I, going through my steps tonight, I just realized, and you can look it up, I, I didn't realize, I was at a company called Nap Technology uh, in 1995. Uh, I was doing English as a second language uh, testing uh, for, the, for the state of New Jersey and for an organization called Jewish Vocational Services. And uh, the plant blew up. As I was walking in the door, the plant blew up. I didn't get in. I uh, posted together. uh, I I had to get out of there. Uh, Five workers died. And uh, uh, you can tell that I believe literacy, for instance, uh, played a role in this. This was what health care would have most kind of fires. That's one of the things that – Companies will help provide with their health care, but I never forgot uh, that, that that happened. And uh, tonight, I, when I, I just happened to zip through uh, some stuff, and uh, Nap Technology came on, and and a guy was describing the whole fire. I always said it was literacy uh, because uh, uh, every company, uh, every library, every police station has uh, they have sheets medical. They're basically medical medical sheets that some in the uh, buildings uh, uh, should take a look at. Um, they're, a whole, they're a strategy out of getting out of the building and strategy of preventing accidents. And I always believe, and I still believe, that the people couldn't read the MS uh, safety sheets. Uh, they okay. would have done ESL testing above uh, the boiler. It was a chemical company. First of all, it was a chemical company in Lodi on their main street, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Uh, there was a chemical company there before that blew up. Uh, the thing is, once this was uh, the, the, the assessments were done, they were going to be given uh, training on company time, convenient company time, to learn English as a second language. They were largely Poles, Italians, and Hispanics uh, from Italy, Lodi and uh, uh, Garfield, neighboring towns, uh, uh, they're heavily ethnic. So this didn't go. But uh, they basically weren't unionized. And uh, maybe, I don't know if that's a big difference, but that thing, nobody, 
could solve that problem, and it went on for hours until finally the uh, cooker, you know, blew up. Uh, so it, it, it's always been on my mind, but it was eerie because I saw it, and I took a moment to. Uh, they had it. They had like a documentary of the whole thing with you know drawings and and, and other things. Um, uh-huh. Healthcare is a serious issue. Uh, I was a union leader for uh, two. I was a union vice president of ASME in, in Newark, and later I was a, a, a building rep in the la- labor building in Trent uh, uh, for my floor. Uh, the labor building has lots of workers, you can believe it, and lots of customers. And, you know, we have an act. I guess it's, there's an act on the books that anybody that goes into a building uh, is is promised some kind of degree of safety if they get out and help and help, guaranteed by the company. Uh, I don't know how effective that is. I think it's a good topic. Uh, okay. Ninety-two of unions are uh, have health care, but unions are only about ten percent of our workforce. So, uh, Dan, how would you? Uh, what do you feel we should be focusing on? How do you feel we should proceed? Well, yeah, you know, I've said, you know, I'm for Medicare for all. I'm for uh, lower prescription drugs. Uh, You know, a lot of times pharmaceutical companies say that they need that money for research and development. Uh, I think they can cut the salaries of the executives a little and nobody will be hurt. Um, You know, Medicare for all is a big thing to push. You know, it is the thing that, you know, requires a movement and, you know, it's a big, it's a big ask. So that is why, like, a lot of Bernie Kratz and only Bernie Kratz are really, like, pushing it, you know, at least here in New Jersey. And, you know, it's really hard to have, like, a movement for, like, a government program for a number of reasons. You know, it takes years. You know, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a sustained effort. You know, you have to connect people's, like, experiences, their their hardship stories, and get that uh, to gall them into action. So, you know. These things are difficult for people. But, you know, um, it is what works. This is what made civil rights become the law of the land, you know, after so many years of oppression and fighting and marching. So it does work. That's the catch. You just have to do it, and it is really difficult. And, you know, it's a shame because, you know, people want to try things, and it's, it's not like somebody can start like a healthcare company and like that can provide healthcare. Like the very nature right. of healthcare is sort of ridiculous in that it doesn't like it's a thing that has to be dealt with the same way the roads are dealt with. You know, we don't have a private company with where one only certain people can be on the roads for the same reason. Yeah, one of the difficult uh, uh, um, aspects of that is. Um, like, for instance, uh, everyone uh, tries to stay as healthy as they can through diet, through exercise, and uh, through other um, habits. Uh, but it's very hard to get uh, information uh, that doesn't contradict other information. So I'm a diabetic, type 2. And uh, it changes all the time. So something works for a while, and then it doesn't work anymore. And then during the times it doesn't work, I have to try different things to find what will work now and I've learned because I've done this enough times that, uh, um, yeah, the same thing won't work sometimes. Uh, like, you know, you just have to keep trying different things like peanut butter. I used to be able to eat peanut butter 
And no, you don't want to eat that. The you don't high protein diet so. that was a good thing, but now I can't eat any peanut butter. I get sick if I eat peanut butter. So uh, that's off my uh, my list of things uh, I can eat. Um, so just educating people about healthy things. Uh, again, there's a there, it is it's very difficult to get like accurate information, and not everything works for anybody. But if you try to keep healthy, at least it's something you can do to take control of that part of your life and be proactive uh, in it, rather than relying on uh, uh, drugs and uh, and you know th- things like that. So I've been trying to push uh, wellness, optimal wellness, uh, through whatever means I possibly uh, uh, can, uh, through my acts, uh, through my communications, through my participation in various things in my uh, community and a bit further afield with authors and, and like so forth. Um, but I found one uh, candidate who's running for uh, Congress uh, here in my district that is all for uh, healthcare for all and for the environment and for a lot of things that I believe in. So I've been providing a platform and increasing awareness about her and what, you know, she's uh, trying to do. So, but there must be more, there must be more than making phone calls. There must be more than filling out petitions. There must be more than, you know, lifestyle uh, changes. I think we're confronted with phenomenal challenges and we need to rise up to them, but uh, I don't know what else to do. You did actually, well, I'm going to give you a little criticism mm-hmm. here. First of all, I, right at this point, I don't think Bernie Sanders is going to win the election. Two, I don't think there's enough money for Medicare for all. And three, those of us that have for like the war in Iran other things. I have full coverage. I have Medicare and I have uh, my uh, my New Jersey government health insurance and that covers everything and uh, I, I, I wouldn't want to give it up. I don't want to pay for uh, pay for stuff that I already have now. I mean Medicare with my with my pension and with thousands of other work, workers we're not about to give it up. It's too much of a, it would be too much of an experiment at this time. First of all, if you look at the budget that this president might win He's certainly not going to be impeached. And the one problem that bothers me the most is independents are starting to shrink away from the Democrats on this. So that's the key to winning is the Democrats. And we know that there are 2 million independents in New Jersey. And there's roughly 2 million or 3 million in every state other than his uh, small state three, uh, 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 you know, votes, whatever you call it, uh, the Electoral College. It's it's a big hunk. I don't think. First of all, we have to we have to correct the mess that's been made here. People are losing every benefit under the sun. They're going to get. He's, he's talking about cutting Social Security. That would hurt a lot of people. A lot of people. There's nothing in the way to help it. I get Social Security as uh, with my pension. It gives me a real decent uh, life, and so does my uh, my wife. She has it, and she has a teacher's pension. She don't want to give it up. Teachers don't want to give up their pensions. Uh, because we're talking about decent. getting other pension, but the pension pays for the health care. It's a lot. Of, it's, people, you're talking they about medical. They were taking fifteen hundred out of every check. We've paid to get into that. We've paid to get our programs. That's what you got to understand. So, why Medicare most- in a good election year? You're not. I don't. I think Trump at this point is going to win. 
I really do. He's not going to win. He's not going to. Why would he win? Because he's, he's not going to win. First of all, he's not going to win. Like we had a blue wave in 2018, and people hate it. Like there's like like all the mistakes from 2016, people are aware of, and they're going to deal with this year. So he's not going to win. All in fact, about the, first, the most popular. College. And the difference of getting another million votes ain't going to change it. And the way right, I look, so this, it, we're not, not going to pick up. I'm, okay. I'm looking at this every look, day. I have people every look, day telling me Bernie's going to win. Okay. Uh, let's first of all, move, let's, be a, gentlemen, let's they, move past Bernie and Trump. Um, yeah. Let's. What? Okay. I don't believe anybody should lose their pensions or any health care plans that they currently okay. have. Um, I believe that that should remain for people that have it. I also believe that in addition to having something that covers everybody universally, that people can also buy in to get more to uh, different things. So, you know, I, I have a, uh, a, a mixed view on uh, how this can be accomplished with a lot of flexibility. Uh, but what can we do to make sure, and, and you're very fortunate, I'm glad that you have all this coverage, but many people don't. So what can we do to make sure that everyone has, like, not only a sustainable wage if they're working, uh, but also has enough of a safety net so that if something goes wrong, um, you know, they're not left in the types of circumstances that they're confronting now? Well, we could push more unionization and, and up that. Okay. Young people are going for unions, even in the uh, in the higher sectors of, of that would be a big effort. Uh, we have to maybe bridge on to something until we get there. You know, better Obama's program if we could do that and then have Medicare for all. Uh, we have to push maybe to uh, uh, cut the, the – have congressmen across the country vote against giveaways that really are not going to the middle class or the lower class. That would be a start. We have to really get active. We have to get – marches would help. Women's March was down a little bit this time, but I think that the women are going to be pretty angry. You know, this election has to be won. It's a difficult election. This guy, everything I read is, uh, you know, even if I take a survey on something, then there's a survey attached. Who do you think will be president of the United States? And you look, and guess what? It's sponsored by him, Trump. Uh, we need to mobilize a lot of people, and it's not just in New Jersey. We need efforts. I've been sending money all over the country uh, to, okay. to congressmen and uh, potential congressmen and congress. I don't have that kind of money. Uh, I mean, ten or fifteen dollars or something. Uh, I, I followed six of those candidates, including Bernie, giving them donations, uh, and I watched the, the women uh, uh, drop out and, and, and decrease, and uh, others drop out and decrease. Castro was another one. We have to have a strong ticket, and uh, I don't know if they're going to get – I would like to see him impeached, but it is up to the people. we got to see how the polls look at uh, – you know, every poll is predicting everybody's going to beat Trump, They've almost every one of them. If, if that's true, then we have no problem. But I think money, money buys votes. That's the sad quantity. And these idiots, I, I, I really uh, – I jumped out at a woman yesterday, uh, and I realized she, she lives uh, in Mexico, New York. She's very poor. Uh, she told me her story today. She's a Trumpet. And I, when you realize the folks, they're not hearing the truth. 
or it's maybe it's biblical. This guy's making he, he's the chosen one all of a sudden. That just seems to be a folly. Uh, I don't want to take everybody's time, but I, I don't mean to criticize you, uh, anybody, but uh, I'm following this intensely, and uh, I don't like what I'm seeing on TV I, I, with the, the things, and I think that's going to play a big role. I don't know if he – hopefully we can beat him. I don't care who it is that beats him. Just beat him. Okay, and thank it, you, Dan. Um. So first of all, Medicare for all is not that expensive. American healthcare right now is horribly inefficient and very expensive. So part of the money would go towards like those savings. That money would go towards like Medicare for all. Second of all, you know we have a massive military budget. We cut off like one plane, we could probably pay for Medicare for all. We cut off four, four of those like uh, like redundant planes, you know, and a, a base in Germany. We could fund the entire social safety net and fix every hole ever created. So, like, I don't like any of this talk that we don't have the money. Because, you know, there's always talk, oh, we got plenty of money. We should go invade Iran. You know, we got money for that. You know, we had money for Iraq, you know, not money for Newark, Patterson, or any other hood in America. So that's ridiculous. I remember, uh, when, know, I, remember when I was uh, first entering the job market as an adult, uh, before the insurance companies uh, kind of commandeered uh, um, the healthcare industry, um, basically, if you needed, there were clinics that you could go to that were less expensive than a doctor. But doctors made house calls back then too, and they weren't, you know, in retrospect, uh, they weren't all that expensive. Um, and when you needed something more than just uh, to be seen for a visit. Um, you worked on a sliding scale. You'd bring paychecks, you'd bring uh, your taxes, uh, and you'd sit down for someone, and they would determine how much things uh, cost. And if anything changed, um, they would recalculate it, uh, and they'd work out a plan for you to pay if you couldn't pay, like, on the spot. And this was done universally throughout hospitals. I was a patient advocate in New York Hospital when the insurance companies started to uh, – uh, expand uh, and it was the age of uh, uh, empires I guess you can call it because hospitals were swallowing up other hospitals a lot of community hospitals were in danger uh, of closing and there are like these mega um, hospital institutions and that seemed to push the whole insurance thing um, you know, even uh, further so I know because from memory I remember it being easier to get health care and doable to get health care, regardless of what your circumstances were. And you can bet that I wasn't making a lot of money when I first entered uh, adulthood. Oh. I was in food service like many other Greeks, but I was able to go to clinics. I was able to see doctors. Um, you know, I broke my foot once. I was able to get that taken care of and still afford it on uh, um, you know, the pay that I was getting. So it is possible. Huh. We've done it before in this country. And other countries are still able to do it. And they seem to have a system, some of them, from what I can see or read, that if you have more money and you want more than the uh, universal system, you could buy private insurance to cover you. So I think that would be great. Yeah. This way, each to their own. But for everybody, there's some minimum standard of uh, care uh, that doesn't leave you losing everything you have because you got sick. Hercules, I'm looking at the Atlantic uh, magazine, okay. 
And here's a quote from the Urban Institute, which is really a center-left think tank. Medicare for All would cost $34 trillion in its first de- de- uh, decade. Now, we're way over expense. This idiot president has basically bankrupt this country at, at what is 20 tr- what is $20 trillion, uh, uh giveaway, tax giveaways, and that's petering out now. That's a lot of money we don't have. We shouldn't have allowed this guy to win, that's for sure. Uh, I think that presidential campaign should be 50 states. Uh, and, and, you know, we've got guys telling us how to pick states. We should have been in these, some of these smaller states. We should have carried Michigan in the last election. Uh, we should have carried Wisconsin. Heck, even the Republicans in Wisconsin used to be called progressives. I mean, Senator LaFollette was voted the greatest senator uh, of the uh, 20th century, uh, and he was a Republican. Uh, hmm. You know, how uh, far they've uh, fallen. Well, yeah, you, you know, the, the former mayor of New York on way back, uh, uh, LaGuardia, he was a progressive, and so was Theodore Roosevelt. They would qualify as Democrats today. But I'm not against all these programs. The, the real quest is we have to get out, roll our sleeves. If it's Bernie Sanders or whomever it is, we have to win the election. There's no doubt about it. And I think if we lose the election, we're going to feel we're going to see dire consequences. I think that these Christians see uh, uh, see uh, Trump as I don't know why, other than uh, what uh, they see him as the chosen one. Even coming out of some of the Christians, except uh, oh God. The man that just uh, – I was telling you, um, God, the old Christian that died, uh, he has a magazine. His magazine came out and criticized Christians Billy on Graham? that Billy Graham. We, we're seeing a different world. Trump is basically catering to certain religious groups. Uh, and I, I don't know the others, the regular uh, the mainline Christian groups, uh, Catholic, Presbyterian, uh, whatever, and, uh, and Judaism and uh, other ethnic groups. We would never treat uh, immigrants like what's going on now. Uh, and, and yes, Obama made a move uh, to cut back on some immigrants. I would like, I think, saving is an answer. I don't know what the big answer is. I don't. Russia and China now are building up like crazy. The guy killed the Iranian deal, which should have lasted forever. And Iran was making a move to join the West. Uh, he would have actually. His plan was to maybe start a war with Iran, which would be bloodshed. I mean, that's what we're looking at. How do we resurrect this country in a hurry? I'm not seeing a lot of marches. You know what I see? I see people on, I call them seat jockeys. They're on the computers all day, including me, writing all kinds of things. And on the other side, they're doing the same thing. uh, Although they're a little more vulgar than we are. We have to start winning this race. And this guy never should have got elected. He's a moron. He's a degenerate. He's everything under the sun. I'm worried about him. I don't want to talk politics, but it's inevitable because politics, you know, Lyndon Johnson got a whole bunch of programs, of course, including Medicare passed with Republican help. You don't have one Republican today testifying or working with the Democrats on impeachment. That's frightening. We have to pull the independents in. That's been the case, though, like since the early 90s, like that the Republicans will be in lockstep opposition. That's like, that's nothing new. Well, this is like, at this age, they're focusing on everything. Don't forget, Johnson 
lost the, he said it after he passed his bills, he lost the South forever. He knew that. Bobby Kennedy knew that. I knew, I knew Kennedy's, I knew uh, uh, John Kennedy's speechwriter. He told me that. Uh, I had him on Facebook. Yeah, but like it took a while to really like lose the South, like to the degree that we did. Like people say that, but like there was still, like Jimmy Carter, you know, was the governor of Georgia. So I don't he, know how that works, got, but you know, that's the thing. Some, you know, the prison, uh, the Iranian capture of those prisoners, we're still dealing with that 47 years later. Well, um, he was a horrible a president. president. I really do hate Jimmy Carter, but, you know, but he wasn't really in shape for anything to fight him. Well, he was. Uh, he had a tough primary. He ran against Ted Kennedy. Uh, Ted Kennedy thought he would win. Uh, he didn't win. That was the end of his dreams, really. He became more of a senator. I mean, I admire Carter for the things that he's done. If you look at the guy, he's almost 100, and he's out building homes. Uh, Carter, has been a very, Carter has been a very uh, good past president, uh, far better than he actually was at being president. I see. I I don't know how Hercules is. I've never seen a president as bad as this. Even Nixon. No, I don't think anybody has. Uh, James Buchanan. James Buchanan. You know, let the Civil War happen. Uh, Warren G. Harding was also like crazy corrupt. Very bad. (laughs) He was very. Harding had the decency to die in office. So there's that. One guy died after six weeks. I think that was Zachary Taylor. <laughs> was it Taylor or was, or I think it was Harrison. It might have been, yeah, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. There were two of them. Yeah, I think William Henry Harrison died after, like, 40 days. And, like, he was the first president to die. And then, like, his like nobody like John Tyler eventually became a Confederate. The thing about Jimmy Carter that's interesting, since we are supposed to be talking about health care, is that Jimmy uh-huh. Carter like refused to make a deal with Ted Kennedy, who was pushing uh, health care reform and pushed it throughout his career, for example. So like he did not want to make a deal. Jimmy did not want to make a deal wrong. with Teddy. And Teddy almost made a deal with Nixon for something that's like the ACA and regretted not making that deal. And like it was, and like Clinton really, Hillary especially, really half-assed trying to pass health care reform in 93, and then, like, she famously was trying to, like, run on that, or, like, like be like, oh, we tried really hard, guys, and, you know, that, but that's really the shame and the tragedy of Teddy Kennedy, that, you know, you wait your whole career, you're about to do it with Obama, and then, like, he died, and then, like, that, the problem with that sentence, you know, became like the problems throughout the presidency. You know, we couldn't, we lost the Senate so we lost the veto-proof majority, so we had to go with the scaled-back version that could have been done a year ago. Um, and like, had they I done like it, that version a year ago, it would have been like a lot easier. You know, but they were still so we trying to get something bigger, which is the issue. Well, I want to give you a thing, to, and Hercules just brought it up a little while ago. Uh, diabetic. I'm a diabetic. How much do my pens cost? Did they sell them pens? Yeah. Oh my God, that's a lot of money. It's seventy-five dollars with prescription a box. It's seventy-five dollars a box. I don't know, Hercules. 
with what is five pens are in a box? Hercules, I don't know if you get the five pens or you get the two pens because they sneak in uh, the court. That's outrageous. I just talked to a woman tonight that uh, I, I disagreed with her, and, and she, you know she's got all kinds of problems. And uh, Medicare is so hard. There used to be ways. I uh, you know there were people like uh, there was a guy a TV show guy. Uh, he was Puerto Rican. What's that? Puerto Rican guy or Hispanic guy? Which one? Oh, God, he had an afternoon show. He was working with pharmaceutical companies to get it out. But the deal is maybe we have to, uh, if, if we really can go big on socialism, nationalize these pharmaceutical companies. They're killing people with, uh, they've gotten hit with some big suits, 500, uh, you know, a billion here, uh, $250 million somewhere else. Uh, the prices of prescriptions are bad. Uh, surgery, I had a, a needle in my spine. It was seven. What was it? Seven thousand dollars. Five minutes. Five minutes. Seven thousand dollars for a needle. Wow. It didn't work. You know. Yeah, uh, so now I have to go for surgery. I've been screened to see if I can pass surgery, because I have sciatica, and I never expected that. One day I was running. You know, running. Uh, you know, long distance walking a dog. Uh, the rest of the time, and it happens. It sneaks up on you. That's what's happened to people, especially one age of the population is growing old and the kids are coming up and they're having kids and everything else. And uh, I don't know. uh, We've always talked about artificial intelligence. It'll be a blessing and it's going to be a curse. Uh, We're going to have to come up with some system for that. That's something we'll continue another day. We're down to the last few minutes of the show. Um, I want to thank uh, both of you. Uh, this is a to be continued. And if you could share your contact information, that'd be great. We'll start with Dan. Yeah. So uh, feel free uh, to look up the American uh, Workforce Association on Facebook. Our website is uh, AmericanWorkforce.net. Uh, and I encourage you uh, to keep uh, updated with us. You know. Thank you very much. And Bill. Well, I might be going back to uh, New Jersey City University uh, to teach, um, and uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook uh, under Bill Waitman. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Bill Waitman. <laughs> I don't even know I had that many uh, namesakes. And I'm on uh, – I do some uh, – what do you call it? Uh, uh, on LinkedIn, I get mm-hmm. a stipend uh, to talk to people about how to you know move their career along or whatever. Uh that comes from a, a magazine, uh, uh, something I did uh, with Harvard Business Review and uh, and LinkedIn, uh, and I like that. I haven't been doing that much, but I, you know, one or two people have dr- drifted to me every uh, now and then, and, and that's cool. it. And uh, I'm on Twitter, Billy Way Thanks. on Twitter. Thanks to both of you. I look forward to our next uh, conversation. Uh, and to those who've been listening in, thank you for doing so. Until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.
Bill. How you doing? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.